1: The air is full of pictures, all around us words and sounds, invisible music. You can't hear it on your own, you need to be tuned in, then the images take shape. The static disappears, the invisible is revealed when the signal is received. Our antennas were broken. His powerful voice was silent. His love remained a rumor. Still, it was there. Endless, but invisible. Until at that moment of belief, The Spirit tuned us in. And suddenly the truest things exploded into view. Pictures of God's goodness, the music of His grace, received with joy in the highest definition. We gather now to worship one who sends the signal, and thank him for the eyes to see the beauty of his love.
2: How appropriate that video, because that what I desire to speak on is entitled, The Nearness of God, The Nearness of God. Ninety percent of the sermons that I preach over these 38 years, I preach only one time. There are some that I preach every six or seven years. And there are a small handful that I preach every two or three years. I think they're that important. And this is one of them, the nearness of God. Acts 17 all stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, the wisest men that existed, the council who considered religions and new gods that came across their paths. And he said to these brilliant men, I see that in every way your city is very religious. You have temples and statues to Zeus and Diana and Poseidon. I even found an altar with this inscription to An unknown God. What you brilliant men worship as something unknown, I, the Apostle Paul, am going to proclaim to you. God determined the time set for you to be on this earth in the exact places where you should live. God did this so that you would seek him and reach out for him and actually be able to find him. He is not far from any one of you. In him you live, in him you move, and in him you have your very existence. He is not far from any one of you. I need not tell you that it is a fact of life that what we search for most earnestly is often so close to us that we could literally reach out and touch it. And conversely, we also find that this thing that we thought that was most important to us, if we could ever achieve it in our lifetime, we found that when we achieved it, it did not bring to us what we thought it would. Perhaps momentarily, a brief celebration, and then we stand back and say, I thought I would feel differently when this came to me. Russell Conwell, perhaps you remember the story. Russell Conwell, whose famous speech, Acres of Diamonds, brought in millions of dollars to build Temple University in the great city of Philadelphia, he tells this true story. A boy he knew in the state of Massachusetts went to Yale University, He went there to study mining engineering. He was a brilliant student, one of the most brilliant the college had ever seen. Halfway through his senior year, they said to him, we want to pay you to be a teaching assistant. We'll pay you $15 a week. After he had done this for a month, they were so impressed with him that they broke their rules. Yale University, 1850. You could not teach there unless you had had teaching experience for at least seven years in some other place. But he is so brilliant that they say to him, we will hire you the day after you graduate, $45 a week. There was a fever going through the country at that time. It was called gold fever. It was coming from the state of California. This young man on the East Coast said to his mother, I am so brilliant with my background in mining engineering, I will find the mother load and we'll be the wealthiest people in this country. He persuaded her to sell the family farm, and she did. He was one of the 99% who found absolutely nothing. And the last Russell Conwell heard of this young man He was working for a copper mining company in the state of Minnesota for $15 a week. Not long after, the new owner of that farm, he planted potatoes. The soil was so rich, they grew like wildfire. He picked them off the top of the ground. One day, as he was going through the stone gateway that led to the house, he tripped and fell, and the potatoes scattered everywhere got down on his hands and knees and began to pick them up. The sun was setting while he was doing this and all of a sudden there was a flash in his eyes and the flash was coming from a stone in that stone gateway. True story. That little piece of stone was native silver and that little block of stone was worth $100,000 in 1850 currency this young mining engineer had passed through that gate a hundred thousand times and all of that wealth was at his fingertips but he didn't see it he didn't know it and he didn't understand it you and I have something of enormous value it is right at our Fingertips and it is called uh, this book, the Bible. You roll your eyes, you say, Man, is this a Bible? It's just the Bible. Give us a break. It's just the Bible. King David was the wealthiest king in Israelite history, save for his son Solomon. And King David in Psalm nineteen he said, Thy word is more precious to me than silver and gold's we have this at our fingertips, and we don't know it, and we don't understand it. The text for last week, Pentecost, you remember, John fourteen twenty six. Jesus said, "The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, when He comes to you, He will teach you all things, and will bring to your mind an understanding of all things. And when you have this understanding, then you'll have My peace." And you say to yourself, what understanding can bring us peace? This understanding. The understanding of who God is. The understanding of what life is all about. The understanding of you don't fix your eyes on the things which are seen. The understanding of what your purpose is. The understanding that when you wake up of a morning, you are saying this is the day that God has made. is not the day that my cancer has made. He will bring to your mind an understanding of all things. And when you have that understanding, he will grant you what is worth more than silver or gold. He will grant you his peace. God is like that block of silver. God is like that. We seldom realize how close God is. We say if I had the time and the money i 'd buy great books and i 'd read about God. If I had the time and the money, I would go to seminars all over the country I 'd listen to the great teachers, and i 'd learn about God. If I had the time and the money i 'd go to the seminary i 'd go to Lutheran school of theology i 'd learn about God. God is up there smiling. I, And God is saying, you try too hard, you try too hard, I am very near you. I would accuse the Apostle Paul of plagiarism because I think that's what he did. Because when I look at what he said in Acts 17, it is what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Moses said to the people of Israel, you search so hard for God. You say, I'm going to go up to heaven, I'll find him. I'll go across the ocean, I'll find him. Moses said, God is very near you. He's in your mind and in your hearts that you might know him and might have his peace. And the Apostle Paul has that scripture so well memorized. That's what he says to the brilliant philosophers on Mars Hill. He literally says the same thing Moses did. He said, you guys are searching so hard for God. Your poetry and your papers and your architect and your temples and your statues. Your heart is aching to find God. He's not very far away from any one of you. In him you live and move and have your being. He's in your mind and in your hearts. If you'd only listen to his voice. And the amazing thing is, these are the most brilliant people on the planet. The Apostle Paul, was he outmatched? (laughs) No. How proud his mother was, and when the Apostle Paul writes to his mother saying, I finished number one in the class under Gamilio. I'm the best student he's had. When he climbed up on Mars Hill and he's with these great philosophers, he's salivating because he hasn't been around people like this in a long time. He matches them argument for argument. And by the time he's finished, Bible says some of those great minds believed in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to your mind an understanding of all things. Lee Strobel in his book, he says about the Bible, it's proof of the existence of God. You say that ain't possible, it is. The Bible is proof of the existence of God. Romans chapter 8, verse thirty-one, thirty-two. 32, I read it at every funeral I have ever done. Romans eight thirty-one, thirty-two. 32, theologians believe that the Apostle Paul was preaching at a funeral when those words were written and that portion of his funeral sermon got into the Bible. How in the world can I be using the same scripture that he was using 2,000 years ago? How is that possible? Some minister there in England during the Black Plague when a third of the world's population dies. How in the world can that minister be preaching from the same scripture I'm preaching for at the funeral for Jack Miller on Tuesday? How is that possible? Some minister doing a funeral service for some soldier who died in the Revolutionary War. How can he be preaching from the same text I'm going to be preaching from uh, on Tuesday? How is that possible? I told you some months ago that 100 million copies of the Bible are printed every single year. If you looked at the books number 2 through number 100 and you added all of those together, it would fall far short of 100 million copies Every single year. I preached this sermon 12 years ago, and when I preached it, there were 60 million copies being printed every year. Now there's a hundred. How can a book this old still have the power it does? Did not God say heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away? Three great miracles, Lee Strobel, creation of the world, resurrection of Jesus, Jesus from the dead, and this book, the Bible, and this book is in your house and on your phone app. I called my mama yesterday at 5 o'clock. I shouldn't have done that. I should not have called her an hour before I had to come over and conduct a service. Because when I called my mother, she said, the cancer is back. I said, Mama, it's only been two months. She said, the cancer is back. double mastectomy, the cancer is back. I said, Mom, what's she going to do? She said, radiation. I said, chemo? No. She said, the doctors say I'm too old for chemo, and even if they wanted to give it to me, I know how sick it makes you, so I wouldn't do it. I said to my mother, I said, Mom, let me ask you a question. Whenever someone has a terminal illness, I said to my mom, I always ask them this question. I say to them, forget I'm a minister. Forget I'm a minister. Answer this question for me. Do you believe there is life after this life? And I said to my mom, 99% of the time they say, I believe there's life after this life. Mom, answer that question for me. And my mother said to me, I am 110% certain there is life after this life. I said, Mom, how can you know with such certainty? And she preached a sermon to me. She said, Paul, I have the Bible. They are words on a page. I've read them tens of thousands of times. They do nothing for me. And then she explained, she said, unless the Holy Spirit works in your hearts, the understanding of those words, I have the understanding of those words. I've been thinking about your father quite often these last two months. I think it is God's way of telling me you'll be with him soon and I can hardly wait She said, I have never felt this closeness with God ever before. I said to her, Mom, do you know what I'm preaching this weekend? She said, No. I said, The sermon is entitled The Nearness of God. The Nearness of God. David, with all his wealth, said, Psalm 19, thy word is more precious to me than silver or gold. My mom has this nearness to God. The thief on the cross had this nearness to God. The woman at the well, who had been through five divorces, he had this nearness to God. The woman who was bankrupt because she had been ill for 12 years had spent all her money on doctors and hospitals. She had this nearness to God. The guy who had the terminal illness called leprosy, and he was the only one of the ten who came running back to Jesus, he had this nearness to God. The prodigal son lying there in the mud next to the pigs, he had this nearness to God. The apostles after Pentecost, they had this nearness to God. The Bible is filled uh, with stories. My life as a minister is filled with your stories of people who have this nearness to God. Some of you sitting here even as I speak. She was six years of age. Her father said to her, let's go for a walk. They were in his favorite place on planet Earth, Yellowstone National Park. He had been there often uh, growing up and now he had a family for the first time they go. She's so intrigued by the geysers and the mud pots and the grizzly bears and everything else and the second night they were there, dad said, let's go for a walk, just you and me. They're walking down this path and a half mile down, uh, another trail heads off to the right and they go off on that trail and then another half mile and there's a trail to the left and dad goes on that trail and after a while, the daughter says, Daddy, it's beginning to get dark. Do you think we should head back? Dad had a strange look on his face. The daughter said to him, Daddy, are you lost? And he looked at her and saw her lip quivering and saw the panic look on her face. He didn't answer a question. He said to her, Are you lost? And she smiled at him and said, no, Daddy, I'm with you. How can I be lost? The nearness of God. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Baptized the Koharski baby at the 930 service. And I'm thinking about my mom as I'm baptizing the baby. Beginning of life, ending of life. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, this path that God is walking with you, Psalm 139. But I know one thing straight from the lips of my mama. You can never be lost if if we're with the Heavenly Father because the Heavenly Father is never lost. As crazy as the world gets, as crazy as our lives get, The Heavenly Father is never lost. I told you that two years ago when I flew down to Texas and knocked on my mom's house when dad died, first words out of her mouth were not, Hi, Paul. First words out of her mouth were, How does anyone get through this without God? And then she said, Hi, Paul. The last words she said, I said, Mama, I got to get over. I got church. Last words she said were, How does anyone get through this without God? And then she said, With God, I have my peace. Trinity Sunday. It's not very hard. He's in your mind and in your hearts that you might believe in him and have his peace. In our Savior's name, amen. As you come forward, let me pray with you. Oh, we say so often, come, Lord Jesus, come, and he says, knock it off. I've already come. Why do you keep asking me to come? Come. It's like his disciples in the boat when they're so afraid and when he calms the storm, he says, are you kidding me, guys? I've done all these miracles and I'm in this boat and you're terrified? Hmm. He would say to us, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to that mountain of cancer, get out of my way and it will move. And all that will be left, thank you, Mama, all that will be left is my peace in the midst of whatever path you're walking now. He said to his daughter, are you lost? And she said, how can I be lost, Daddy? I'm with you. In our Savior's name,
0: amen